and welcome everybody to episode four of the Fretzelmania podcast on Wrestle Addict Radio, Ham Hawks Giving. I am your host, Mr. Fretz. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Fretzelmania. This podcast, of course, is heard on Wrestle Addict Radio, the cure for the common wrestling podcast. Like, share, subscribe, follow us on all social media platforms, addict underscore wrestle on Twitter, buy our merch on Teespring, subscribe to our Patreon page, and man, what a loaded week we've had uh, this week, peeps. Uh, Survivor Series, we had a great episode of NXT, I just finished watching NXT UK's Heritage Cup Final, recording this on American Thanksgiving, so retroactively, uh, I want to wish all of my American listeners and friends a happy Thanksgiving. You know, we already celebrated it up here in Canada in October. In the words of Rob, Robin Trubatsky, uh real Thanksgiving happened a month ago. <laughs> so I just want to quickly say that, uh, well, this, this was for my American peeps. Uh, I'm thankful for each and every one of you. You all know who you are. Everybody on Wrestle Addict Radio, you know, Mance, Mr. YLP, Ricky, Will, and Kate. And uh, I can't forget, you know, people outside of the realm of of our network. I think of uh, my good brother, Nate, you know, used to be with, with me on the Game Changer podcast on, on on the network here. He's doing awesome stuff with, with his podcast down there. Uh, Nate, I want to collab with you soon, bro. I'm thankful for you. And I think of people like Dusty Dave, the Rant Foundation, uh, Wade, everyone who is in our in our Patreon, you know, and people like Mr. Warren Hayes. I think you're Canadian. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, but <laughs> yeah, you are Canadian. Gosh, I'm I'm dumb. You know, John Ritland, and people inside and outside of our of our network here. So just I'm thankful for each and every one of you. I love you. Please be safe and. Although this will be recorded, or no, not recorded, heard after Black Friday. For the love of God, be safe. Don't do anything stupid like go in a crowded store and get in fights, especially if you're not wearing a mask. Just do your thing. I hate masks with a burning hot passion, but I wear them. Anyways, this isn't about that. Yes, <laughs> Hamhawk's giving, so you can take a wild stab of what I'm going to be talking about here. So 30 years ago, this past Sunday, saw the debut of The Undertaker. Now, I'm going to be talking about this a little bit later in the show as as we go on here. But, yeah, 30 years, you know, he apparently had his final farewell. Again, I'll get to it when I get to it here. Uh, Fretz's Fave 5 is going to feature an Undertaker theme. It's actually my Fave 5 Taker matches. And in 30 years in the fed that was a very very hard list to do but i hope that you like what i have to say about that so i'm just going to go right in, right in the bat here and go for survivor series 2020 taking place in the thunderdome the amway center they're going to be moving to somewhere else in florida i forget exactly where i apologize if my speech is a little bit off here uh a few days ago, I actually had a tooth extracted, <laughs> so there's a big hole in my face, and it still hurts a little bit. It's been about five days since I've had it done. I'm on antibiotics. 
I have to take some kind of weird mouth rinse, but I'm doing fine. Like I went to the dentist, which is conveniently across the street from my workplace, halfway through my shift, thinking, hey, this something's wrong with this tooth. Can you take a look in here? I don't know if I broke a filling or if I chipped the tooth or something. And he's like, dude, you completely fractured that tooth in half. You know, thank you, popcorn. <laughs> Haven't had it since. Not going to have it for a while now. And I effing love popcorn. I usually have it for when I'm watching my wrestling show. So now I'm substituting that with soft uh, Cheeto puffs. So he's like, we could do a crown and he'd have to come back in a few years anyways. Or we could yank it out tonight, put an implant in when we can. So I opted to get it yanked out. And then I went and finished my shift because, well, I ain't got time <laughs> to, to not work, especially since... This past week, we were doing inventory, and any of you who are in retail, you know what inventory entails, so we spent a good few days getting ready for that. So I'm, I'm doing good. I feel all right. Uh, wrestling really <laughs> made a great distraction for me on Sunday, which was the day after I had it yanked out, so it really helped. Survivor Series in the Thunderdome. Uh, we had a dual-branded Battle Royal that was made up on the weekend and it just featured everybody who's not booked and conspicuous by their absence was retribution whom i predicted to uh, have a role in at least two matches on this night this you know you had i forget who was in this match i know it was like dominic and ray mysterio dolph ziggler buddy murphy everybody who's not booked john morrison the miz who eventually won this i Chad Gable, who finally got his name back from that awful, awful crap Shorty G. And, you know, his singlet, he was just reminding me of, you know, 20 years ago this this week, which you can hear about on the 20 Ball Salute WrestleLet Radio Patreon. It is coming out this Sunday, by the way, November 2000. Uh, that is my 20-year look back on pop culture and wrestling. The last Sunday, every month on Russell Attic Radio, I try to get it out for then. And uh, you can hear a special announcement about December's uh, a little bit later in the program as well. So yeah, Survivor Series 2000, it was really... No, 99! Gosh! Whew! <laughs> 21 years ago, and that episode is on the backlog of the Patreon. Chad Gable was really reminding me of Kurt Angle's debut with the singlet and, you know, the uh, just, just everything, because... Ever since I saw Chad Gable, he definitely gave me Kurt Angle vibes, and he could have been the adopted son instead of Jason Jordan. No offense to Jason Jordan. Talk about an athletic beast and someone who is just uh, retired way too young, who, who, who left in his prime. He's doing a good job producing backstage anyways. Yeah, Cable gave me Kurt Angle vibes here, especially with all the suplexes. I thought he should have won this. But The Miz, you know, he has the Money in the Bank briefcase. This is just adding to the repertoire. This is building up to his big moment, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, Dominic seemingly has this win. And then The Miz, who had the spot in the Rumble I hate the most. You know, I'm with you, Mance, where you, where you go under the ropes, you hide for a while, and you come back in the end and you almost win. Santino Morello did that in 2011. But that was friggin' hilarious when he when he did that. And the Miz 
throws out Dominic. This is War Rumble 95. This is every other Battle Royale. This is Roman Reigns, I think, one year as well. But, uh, no. Uh, and I hate The Miz. Like, he is probably at the top of my fave, least five favorite wrestlers. Uh, yeah, I'll make that a list someday. We had Team Raw with AJ Styles, Keith Lee, Sheamus and Braun Strowman, and, oh, and Riddle with Omos, who is the giant uh, uh, insurance policy for AJ Styles. Of course, he was the man that was guarding the door in Raw Underground. I'm still pissed they cancel that. F.U. Coronavirus. Yeah, Raw Underground was so good. So good. It had so much potential. Man, I... Okay. <clears throat> Going up against Team SmackDown, Kevin Owens, Jey Uso, King Corbin, Seth Rollins, and Otis. Uh... I'm not going to go bit by bit, elimination by elimination here, mostly because I don't have it in front of me here. I just have Wikipedia and other wrestling podcasts go into more greater detail. So I'll let them do that. But give you my, my bits here. You had Seth Rollins have his sacrificial lamb moment where he gets down on his knees and he asks Seamus to broke kick him. Seamus, of course, complies. Boom, broke kick. There goes Seth, uh, maybe written off to go uh, welcome him and Becky's child into the world, take some time off to uh, be a dad. I applaud that. Congratulations, Seth and Becky. I hope that you know everything goes well. And eventually, you know, Team SmackDown is shaved all the way down to Jey Uso, and I'm thinking, oh man, is Jey Uso going to have his uh, uh, British Bulldog moment from 99? You know, when the Mean Street Posse tagged with British Bulldog, all the posse members get eliminated, and it's down to like four on one with the Bulldog until like Val Venus is the sole survivor against him, and then he beats him with a European title. Where's my title shot? It, it's gone, Davey. It's it, it's it's gone. My match of the night, probably here we have the Street Profits versus the New Day coming out in their Gears of War attire, and as soon as I saw that, I'm like. Man, that's Max Moon. <laughs> that's Max Moon's attire. If you remember who Max Moon was, uh, definitely hit me up on the socials and send me a meme or something. Uh, yeah, because the New Day, you know, Xavier Woods, big time gamer, up, up, down, down, realizes one of his dreams and he is part of a video, well, not a WWE video game. He's been in, what, seven of them so far? But yeah. You see that you see him in their Gears of War attire, and I thought it was kind of cool. Batista, I think, was a character or an unlockable attire as well in like Gears of War three or four. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's great stuff. I love that the New Day here was kind of turning up the heel button a little bit here with taunting them with the solo cups and like wanting to smash them or something, and then the Street Profits like. My goodness, Montez Ford, if that man isn't the WWE champion in five years, you, you've done goofed up, WWE. Yeah, Dawkins as well was, was showing his worth. You know, Dawkins, a, a long time member of the NXT and the Performance Center, finally getting his due, finally getting something on the main roster. And I picked initially the New Day, but as I went through the week... And as I was, you know, I was listening to like, you know, Cultaholic and everyone else and Wrestling With Regrets uh, 
predictions and I'm just like, oh man, no. The Street Profits needed this win more. I'm with it. I love it. I love the Street Profits. Uh, I, I was hot and cold on them for a while, but man, I'm, I'm good with them. But I feel bad for the sucker that every time they do that damn solo cup dump in their entrance for the poor sucker that has to clean them up. I'm a former janitor. I was a janitor at a college on a floor with like 12 other guys. So <laughs> you know where this is going. It was a Bible college. There were no solo cups and drinks. Although I know people on campus who kept alcohol and condoms in their room. I won't say who because A, they don't listen to this show. And B, uh, my dormitory building is now demolished on the property of my particular Bible college. <laughs> yep, Street Profits here with a great... Spinebuster and Frog Splash from the heavens! That wasn't enough until they hit the uh, the Doomsday-assisted Blockbuster, which I think was their finisher in NXT. That's also the finisher, I think, that uh, Proud and Powerful use in AEW, the, the Street Sweeper. But that's more of a powerbomb buff Blockbuster combination. Still sick. Still a great match. Uh, Bobby Lashley, the United States Champion versus the IC Champion, Sami Zayn. This match was wasn't good. It wasn't terrible, but I'm like I immediately got Bobby's sisters vibes out of this. And yeah, Sammy, I gotta give him credit here for healing it up, trying to play up, you know, the vertigo that you know Bobby apparently gave him doing the delayed suplex at was it like Backlash a few years ago or Great Balls of Fire? I can't remember when their match was. That might have been the time I was a guest on the Kings of the Rings podcast, and we reviewed that show. I think that was it. Uh, uh, Will, Ricky, Kate, you might have to hit me up on that <laughs> and assure that's the truth. <laughs> yeah, I wanted Sami Zayn to win this so bad. I thought he could have used the win, but Lashley's just like, nah. Zayn's healing it up. Like There was a spot here where Sami is cowering away from him. He kind of grazes MVP, and he goes to the ref. He tripped me! He tripped me! That's a DQ! Not what? I didn't see nothing. Hurt lock, full Nelson. Nah, and that's and that is it. No. I love the hurt business now. Like I used to really not care for them, but I I kinda like them now. They're they're doing some good stuff, and I would love to see some more people, you know, get into the hurt business. Like I thought we were gonna see Titus O'Neill join the group. You know, Apollo Cruz was, you know, trading titles with them trying to think of see who else. Keith Lee and a heel Keith Lee in the Hurt Business put him in that suit that would look great that'd be a great look on Keith Lee I think he could be the guy that could take the United States title off of Bobby Lashley I want it to be Mustafa Ali but man with a lack of presence on the last couple of shows by Retribution I just don't know where they're going I said I'm over them but if it gets Mustafa a title then I might just turn around holy crap <laughs> but also the Hurt Business I think they're going to take the tag titles off the New Day they didn't on Raw this week I missed Raw because inventory I was working late women's champion versus champion match Sasha Banks versus Asuka in a rematch from was it the 2019 Royal Rumble where they had a I think they had a title match that time and Asuka just demolished her and this was kind of where Sasha Banks kind of either went downhill and then she went on a break for a while and came back better than ever 
including the friggin' Snoop Dogg entrance theme. I don't like Snoop that much. That theme's a friggin' banger. Yeah, Sasha Banks managed to defeat Asuka here, uh, get a, finally get a win over her, because how many times have they wrestled, and how many times has Asuka just absolutely wrecked her stuff? Yeah, it was great. You had some great moments here with, you know, the bank statement and the Asuka lock and all the reversals, and then just a surprise roll-up, one, two, three, the deadliest move in professional wrestling history. You know, if you watch the 24-7 division. Sp oh, good lord, I almost forgot. Speaking of the 24-7 division. <laughs> there was another wrestler that 30 years ago on Sunday made their professional wrestling debut. <laughs> and that, of course, was the gobbledygooker. Hector Guerrero in a chicken suit. Although the gobbledygooker this past week was Drew Gulak. I knew it was Gulak. When he won the 24-7 title and said, gobble, gobble, baby. I knew that voice. That was friggin' Gulak. And well, all the dirty dirt dirt sheets and, you know, people like Cultaholic, Tom Campbell, Jack King said it was him. So I go by that. So essentially, Drew Gulak has another 24-7 title reign in, in his repertoire. Yeah. As soon as the pre-show panel came out and the Gooker was there, I knew he was going to be the 24-7 champion. So, of course, you have that. And then you have the friggin' Wiley Coyote Roadrunner moment. Oh, my lord. A lot of people shit on that, but it's funny. I, I love stupid comedy, slapstick, you know, Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> well, some Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> Not Click or Grown Ups. But anyways, yeah. Just a stupid funny moment with Akira Tozawa laying in the birdseed trap, and then going to cover him. And then R-Truth gets his baby back for the 47th time. I miss Drake Maverick in this in this uh, division, but and Drake Maverick and Killian Dane, dead! Not yet, but doing their thing in NXT. I, I love it. The SmackDown women's match, uh, yeah, I believe it was next. Yeah, we had Team Raw with Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, Lacey Evans, Peyton Royce, and Lana. Going up against Bianca Belair from SmackDown, Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan, Bailey, and Natalia. Bailey being eliminated early on with a magic killer by Peyton Royce to me was a giant shocker. And hey, if you're going to build up Peyton Royce, I'm all for it. I would have rather seen Billy Kay in this so they can finally get like the the blow up, you know, the Iconics explode. <laughs> Friggin' saxophone theme. <laughs> Yeah, this was different. I, I knew what was going to happen here. I just didn't know how it was going to happen. So, we have an advantage here for... I think SmackDown here had an advantage, or is it getting pretty close? It might have been tied 2-2. Two to two. So, Shayda Baszler has the Cure Feuda Clutch on Bianca Belair... Bianca Belair reaches the ropes and then gets disqualified. Yeah, early in this match, Lana was actually doing some impressive stuff. And that, that freaking stretch that she did going into the ring, like lifting her leg out like she was going to let out a huge fart. That's some flexibility. I'll, I'll give her credit. I caught the tail end, like the last five or ten minutes of her chronicle because, you know, I got off, I got home from work and just put the network right on. I felt really bad for her. And 
you know, this all, all this, she's talking about bullying and starts crying. Like, I'll admit it. I took part in it. <laughs> I took, I tagged her in one. And then I got kicked off of Twitter for 12 hours. But, A, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. Mind you, it was a year or so ago. That doesn't excuse it. That doesn't excuse me from this. But still, she works her ass off. And then I felt extra bad when, like, I saw that, you know, she was praying with her parents. I'm like, oh, Lord, she's a Christian. Uh, I am too, by the way. And I'm like, oh, boy, God, please forgive me. <laughs> and, you know, she works hard. It's just the way she's presented and booked. Like, especially that love triangle or whatever storyline with Liv Morgan and Bobby Lashley. And then the whole thing with Summer Ray and Dolph Ziggler and Rusa. I, I didn't like that, but she's a great person, okay? But this the way she's presented and booked is questionable to some. I'm going to come around on it, just like I've come around on people like Orange Cassidy. I'm going to come around on this. I mean, they're trying to make her the sympathetic baby face. I think that Chronicle did a good job of doing that. And But this here, she was bullied and berated, starts to cry, and it's like, no. Okay, go away. Go stand over there. Not on the apron. No, go stand over there behind us on the steps. And being someone who has been bullied in the past, I related to that. But then there wasn't payoff. I think there's payoff coming. And, you know, Nia Jax versus Lana at TLC in a tables match. Pencil that in. I'm calling it now. Unless it's going to be her and a tag team partner against Nia and Shayna for the titles. In a tables match where she gets her heat back after what 10 weeks in a row going through a table good lord lady i gotta give you credit alone for taking those bumps like a champ that many weeks in a row that's how many different women the dudley boys put through tables maybe less but lana took that like a champ every week so going back off of this rabbit trail that i always go on here i uh I'm not sorry. <laughs> Shane is disqualified and then goes to the outside. And in a similar vein of the Hulk Hogan 1987 finish that I talked about last week, there's a spot where Naya and Bianca, Bianca they're the last two people on their team, or so we think, and they ha they go through the barricade. They go through, have a, have a spot in the barricade, Neither of them answer the 10 count, but there's Lana still standing there on the steps crying from being bullied 20 minutes ago. Then she gets in the ring and starts crying again and celebrated. One by doing nothing. That's how you stick it to bullies. By doing nothing. Is that the message they're trying to convey? It's like, yeah, fuck bullies. I'm with that. You know, if you're a bully, uh, don't listen to my podcast. Uh, <laughs> and apologize, and then come back and listen. Anyways, yeah, the way that was presented, I thought it was hilarious because I knew she was going to be the sole survivor. I freaking knew it. I called it weeks ago. I don't think I called it last week on the podcast because I trailed off and forgot to talk about it. But this was great. I would have loved to see Bianca Belair like, get her moment here because last year at Survivor Series... She looked like a beast. On SmackDown, I mean, she's going to come along. I think she could win the Women's Royal Rumble. 
holy crap, her versus Sasha for the promos alone. Yes, please sign me right up. Then we had champion versus champion. Roman Reigns, the universal champion, going up against the new WWE champion, Drew McIntyre, uh, having won the title last week on Raw. The annual tradition of Survivor Series setting up a champion versus champion match and then changing it literally the week before the show because reasons. I'm still pissed we didn't get Brock Lesnar versus Jinder Mahal. I'm still bitter. I want that match, even if it's Jinder Mahal, one of my favorite Canadians, getting suplexed 25 times in a row, F5'd and dead. And then Brock Lesnar F5's the Bollywood boys through tables and they bounce like, you know, people on a trampoline. Trampoline! Trampoline! You remember that reference? I love you. So there we go. That was a great champion versus champion match here. Uh, Roman Reigns eventually gets the win. Uh, there was a couple of close calls here with Drew McIntyre getting the Claymore. But after Jey Uso was seemingly exiled from the family following losing to Team Raw after an amazing spirit bomb by Keith Lee, Roman's like, no, you're out. Get out of here. Get out of my face. You're out of the family, blah, blah, blah. Out comes Jey Uso to help Roman win. Roman locks in what I call the acknowledgement, that wicked guillotine choke. And I think Drew McIntyre passed out. He didn't tap out. You know, the, the Steve Austin, Bret Hart finish from WrestleMania 13. And they see him, see him on the ramp. Give him a hug like, yeah, bro, you're good. We're good. And it's kind of like, you know, this is what I was talking about. And, you know, his brother, uh, J uh, Jimmy was there. He's like, no, let's go. He's like, no, this doesn't involve you. You walk away. You stay here. And Roman just head of the table, being the beast he should have been after he beat Taker. I'll stand by that. Just, mwah, chef's, <laughs> chef's kiss right there. Perfect. Perfect, perfect stuff. Loved it. And I just realized this is a rematch from, what, WrestleMania 30. Five, I think. Yeah, it was the comeback match after you know Roman came back after beating leukemia after kicking cancer's ass, and yeah, and then every time they they've wrestled, I think Roman has has got it over on him. Drew has a couple of victories over Roman, but not not very many. There there was actually a statistic shared by might have been Zach actually, or it might have been it might have even been Matthew. Or Tom Campbell, one of those people. I, I can't remember. Can't remember who, but yeah, man. Loved this match. Then we get to the finale. We get to 30 years of The Undertaker. The final farewell. See you in Saudi Arabia. No, but seriously. I was having a hard time with this because... WrestleMania, like against Roman Reigns. Was it like WrestleMania 33? I, I can't remember when it was. He didn't like the way that match ended. You know, if you saw his uh, docuseries on the network, you know. And after watching all of them and watching Brothers of Destruction, The Mortician with Paul Bearer. Oh, I'll get to Paul Bearer. And one last round with Stone Cold. You know, I get it. And he was broken down in his match with Roman. And I think, had that been Taker's actual last match and they really, you know, turned the dial up to 11... With Reigns, they could have done something with that, but 
you know, I don't mind that he came back. A lot of people think that he tarnished his legacy by coming back all those times and having, you know, that disastrous match with Degeneration X, that even worse match with Bill Goldberg. I'm still pissed about that match because that match robbed me of the opportunity to meet The Undertaker. I had paid for a photo op with Taker at Niagara Falls Comic Con. Was it last year? Whenever the match was. And then I found out there was a Saudi show that weekend. I knew he wasn't coming back in time. I knew it. And then when I found out he got dropped on his head, he was lucky to even get to Comic-Con. I mean, he got there the day after I left because I didn't spend the whole weekend in Niagara Falls. I couldn't. I was working. And plus, it was my niece's birthday. So that she'll take precedence over that any day of the week. I'm glad I got to sell my tickets and make some money back from it, but I'm still pissed at that freaking match. The Boneyard match, that was just awesome. That 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 was just awesome. But here we have a parade of people from Taker's past or his friends in the BSK, like Rikishi, who... Why didn't you feature him with Roman Reigns? The head of the table, the tribal chief stuff... Rikishi, he's right there. You could have done them in both. And you had the Godwins, who are both bald. And they both came out in their their coveralls. I didn't see a slot bucket. You know, Savio Vega, Kane, HBK, Triple H. All these people from his past, his present, his friends. Uh, Ric Flair, holy crap, why do you keep parading him out? Let him sit at home and relax. The man's 72 years old. You want to give that dude COVID? He almost died. He was fresh out of the hospital when I met him in 2018, but he was spry as a chicken. I'll get I'll give you that. They parade him out and then they're gone. I don't know why they wouldn't have been there for him in his speech, but I get it. And I wasn't believing anything about ta- about Taker being done. Until Vince McMahon himself came out and introduced The Undertaker and said, you know, here to have his farewell, The Undertaker. They're they're like best friends in real life. I mean, if you watch the docuseries, it's like he went to Vince like, hey, can you share about what Taker means to you? Vince starts crying. Nope, can't do it. So there's something there. Loyalty is something that comes to mind when I think of The Undertaker. He gives he gives his speech, you know, it's time for the Undertaker to finally rest in peace. In my mind, I'm like, where's the fiend? Where's the fiend? Where's the fiend? Randy Orton. I was expecting something, because Taker said he's an old school guy. You go out on your back, but he gave his farewell. He put the fist up and left. And I'm just gonna tell you here about how I got into the Undertaker, how I found out. But I'm not giving you a giant retrospective because, A, you've all heard it. If you've been a wrestling fan for any number of times, years, you know the history of Taker. But I knew who Taker was years before I started watching wrestling. And there's a couple of things with that. A, the WWE video games on Sega Genesis, having older cousins who were into wrestling, and... My childhood best friend, uh, John Johnson, Double J. If you somehow hear this, John, uh, 
hit me up, bro. I hope you're doing well. Uh, I haven't heard from him since since after high school. But anyways, John used to live around the corner from me when when we were young. He uh, third grade. I'd go over to his house, and he had a couple of wrestling tapes, like WWE, like some World Tour. 1992 or something like that pop it in and first i see papa shango uh, and it's like what the heck is this and then i hear the gong i see the undertaker i'm like oh what's this guy and it's like oh he, he's a zombie he's basically a zombie a mortician uh, and un- i didn't know the undertaker and undertaker and a paul bearer were literal jobs until I was like 19. I'm not kidding, by the way. <laughs> I, I realized what a pallbearer was when my grandmother passed away in 2007. I was a pallbearer at her funeral. And yeah, I see this guy. I'm like, okay, this dude's pretty cool. I knew of people like Hulk Hogan and he got me into Bret Hart because that's when Bret Hart was just start when i'm no when i met john bret hart would have been in his first reign as wwe champion just defeating rick flair yes yes sometimes i'd pop over and he'd be watching superstars and eventually i would start watching it you know what i said in the past that i started watching it actually with my dad you know we would all we had the family butcher shops so we go to the farm 10 minute drive from the house come back make a ridiculous lunch you know like you know bacon toast whatever and watch bam bam bigelow versus doink the clown and bret hart versus owen hart and and all that stuff but yeah taker was someone that i discovered pretty much before i started watching wrestling full time and some of my favorite moments with him i mean oh gosh his feud with mankind his feud with kane and that five year was it that four or five year run where he had two matches with HBK and then two matches with Triple H, just absolutely insane, absolute, damn near perfect matches. You know, I liked him as the American badass, but as I'm looking back through it, as I'm reliving it through the Twenty Bell Salute, you know, WrestleLock Radio Patreon five bucks a month. I'm looking at it in those eyes. I'm like, yeah, he kind of had to adapt because, you know, the cult leader Satan thing was getting a little old. And in 99, by by the time like that, I was riding through Death Valley with the big show and a a strapped motorcycle on my back. That's when I'm like, okay, dude, you got to change this up. I watched that entire promo. I think my mother was in the room. And she's just like, what the hell is he talking about? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, and then when he became the dead man again, which apparently he was against until they said, oh, we'll bring back Paul Bearer. Oh, yes. Oh, that Paul Bearer hologram they played at the end. I'm not ashamed to admit, I shed a tear. Uh, That was so touching then I was expecting CM Punk to come out with Paul Heyman. No, no, oh, no. But yeah, the, the Paul Heyman hologram when Taker knelt down and did the, the signature pose. Oh man, that really warmed the heart. He goes up and says, and 
basically says his final goodbye. I didn't believe it against Roman Reigns. I didn't believe when Rick. I didn't believe it when Ric Flair did his retirement with Shawn Michaels. I believed it when Shawn Michaels retired, and I was shocked that he came back into it. Some of the only wrestlers I can think of that have stayed retired out of the ring. Well, JBL comes to mind, but screw JBL, piece of crap that he is. Don't care for him that much. Um, bit of a bully. Yeah, just ask Mar Ronaldo. Anyways, yeah, that one might get me in crap. <laughs> yeah, so over the years, Taker, he's been a constant in me, in my professional wrestling fandom. He's always been in my favorites list. There was a time where he was my favorite. You know, and people like Psycho Sid and Bret Hart, uh, Kurt Angle, dare I speak the name Chris Benoit when he was alive. They they all took a top of my favorites as well. Taker was also my first wrestling t-shirt that I owned. Uh, around 96, 97, my cousin Johnny, Johnny, if you're listening to this in the meat room, get back to work. Uh, my brother... And I think some of his friends, they all went to a house show in Toronto. I wanted to go so bad. But I think it might have either been on a school night and it was late. Or either way, I, I couldn't go. I wasn't allowed to go. I think I was only like 12. And who knows. Anyways, I come downstairs the next morning to a uh, an open Toronto Sun, the sports section, with the you know, the, the main event on it, which was a triple threat between, it was Bret Hart, Sid, and Shawn Michaels for the WWE title when, when Sid was the was the champion. And below that was an Undertaker shirt. Like, All right. And I wore that thing to death for years. I bought a big evil shirt in 2003 and that didn't last, oh, that lasted me only a couple years. Stupid freaking carjack factory job ruined that. But yeah. He's been a constant forever and ever. I can go on and on, but my next seg segment, sorry for that cut there, learning how to edit, uh, will go through that. But first, I have NXT and NXT UK. I'll just go over them quickly here. Uh, Ember's new theme here sounds really, really cool, and she's coming out of, you know, the Thunderdome. Not the Thunderdome at, uh, at the Amway Center. I'm talking about you know, friggin' Mad Max here, she's coming out like, it's awesome, awesome stuff, uh, having a really, really banger of a match here with Candice LeRae, you know, goes for the Eclipse, but the Sacrificial Lamb here was, uh, was Indy Hartwell, who the heck is Indy Hartwell, never heard of her, anyways, yeah, there was a sneaky win here by, by Candice, uh, really nice Tazplex here and there. Tony Storm comes out to the ring to aid her friend, but swerve, bro. She throws Ember to the Wolves and has joined the heel team. She has joined Team Candice with uh, Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai. You know, Tony said that there's going to be a new Tony in NXT and what well, we didn't know what that was going to entail. I love Tony Storm now. It's like it's like last year. I did not care at all for Dakota Kai or Team Kick, but when she started turning the heel side and turned on Tegan Knox, 
I was all, all, all for it. Loved it. Undisputed Era come out and cut a promo. And uh, talking about later in the night, they're going to have a match where the winner gains the uh, advantage for War Games against uh, Team... Whatever you call Team uh, Pat McAfee. The McAfee Antivirus Software Soldiers, I, I guess... Yeah, they're having a thing here, and Kyler Riley wants to be the one to represent the era going up against Pete Dunne. Yes, please, in a ladder match to determine who gets the advantage. A ladder match a week and a half before a cage match. Holy crap, guys, that's that's overkill, but I I like it. <laughs> Just please don't die. Uh Great stuff here, and we have Pete Dunn versus Kyler Riley for the main event. Kyler Riley hasn't wrestled since his match with Finn Balor. Speaking of which, Finn Balor just talking about you know the cat, the cat's back, and I was expecting Fred Penner to strum him with the guitar, like, and the cat came back the very next day. If you remember that one, you got to hit me up on on the Twitter. It's good stuff. Good stuff here, and then the Kevin Owens show comes out with. Leon Ruff, who then starts talking about Johnny Gargano. He's like, oh, no, no. You see, on the KO show, when you say someone's name, they come out. Three, two, one. And then, sure enough, a couple of seconds later, Gargano comes out. Oh, 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 it's okay. Yeah, I was a couple of seconds off. And then his self-aware, fourth-wall-breaking humor was just so funny. It, it was very Deadpool is very Wade Wilson. I, <laughs> great stuff here. And then, of course, they mention the name Damien Priest. He's like, I don't need a chair. Or like, you know, jo or Johnny throws the chair. And they come out with another one. What are you doing? Getting a chair. Well, I don't need a chair. Why do I have these stupid things? And then they talk about having a match. And he's like, well, you know, this is normally where Teddy Long would come out. But I wonder if... If NXT has a Teddy Long that can come out and make this a triple threat match. Oh, oh, there he is. There he is. Because at TakeOver War Games, it'll be a triple threat match for the North American Championship. With Leon Ruff defending against Damian Priest and Johnny Gargano player and waves his hair and leaves oh regal really knows to turn up the comedy when when he wants to and just the the self-aware fourth wall humor here shout out to the fourth wall pop network if you're listening to this was just so good cameron grimes one of my favorite wrestlers in nxt straight to the moon after making short work of jake atlas with uh with the cave-in we see, of course, Dexter Loomis trying to do like the appearing out of nowhere behind Finn Balor's back spot from last year. But he appears, scares off Cameron Grimes, and starts showing a cartoon that, that he drew. He must have learned under Jerry Lawler or Bret Hart, because that guy can draw. That's a, that's a heck of an artist right there. <laughs> and of course, he draws him every time he ran away in cowardice and blah 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 and throws a strap to him so okay at war games 
we're going to get a strap match between the two so Cameron Grimes can't run and hide anywhere. That's going to be good. You know, uh, Boa and Xia Lee get thrown in the back of a car and they're taken to some undisclosed location. They're going to get taken up by the Yakuza. And then this hooded figure, the friggin' higher power, is there. And they're like, oh, we're sorry. We'll try again. We'll try harder. We're sorry. Silence! Friggin' Shang Tsung at the entrance there telling them to... You know, you know, silence, come here. And it's like the higher power draws on them. So they get the the mark, oh, the mark of the beast or something written on their hand. And here we go. Next week, we're into something. Yeah, wrestling. Remember how people used to say that wrestling's like a soap opera? This is very soap opera. This is very like Lucha Underground. Shout out to Tom Campbell for that one. But yeah, this is intriguing. Like I, I don't know what the payoff is. I don't, honestly, I don't care about Zia Lee or Boa as performers. No, really, like, really, I haven't seen too much out of them. But this storyline, I just want to see it play out. And we saw, you know, the hood. We saw a little bit of hair over the eyes of this hooded figure. I think it was a woman. But uh, forgive me for assuming. But it's something. And we basically get the, okay, what's going to happen next part? Ever rise come out, and as soon as they're even friggin' introduced, the grizzled young veterans, Liverpool's number one son, Zach Gibson, <laughs> they they all come out, and they hit the tickets of mayhem and say that you know here they are to claim their spot as number one in NXT. Now, after dominating NXT UK and having a, a win with them, you know Drake and Gibson here, oh man, they could add to that already captivating tag team division i mean we got you know we have the current champions we have you know the o oni and tui there uh, oni and danny and we got ever rise you got grizzled young vets the undisputed era are still there and dare i say zach your favorite tag team killian dane and uh drake maverick the next tag team champions I'm dying on this hill. They're the next champions. I'm calling it now. Then we got a ladder match for the uh, advantage at War Games. That ladder match was awesome. Like Pete Dunne and uh, Kyle O'Reilly were using joint manipulation with and through the ladder. Like arm bar, arm bar. <clears throat> I can't speak. Thousand or four holds the arm bar through the, through the rungs. And that Pete Dunn cracking the finger in half spot. Uh, a brain buster on the ladder for the love of everything. Holy ouch. You know, a superplex to the outside breaking the ladder in half. Like the Shelton Benjamin spot from WrestleMania. The, a bitter end on the guardrail. Oh, jeez. And then someone in a mask, which I think it was actually Pat McAfee, came out and knocked off. Kyle off the ladder, allowing Pete Dunn to come out. And for the first time ever, the Undisputed Era don't win the advantage at War Games. So this is some captivating stuff. Uh, brushing over NXT UK because I just watched it. We had a really good opening match for the Cruiserweight Championship between Amir Jordan and the real Cruiserweight Champion, Jordan Devlin. You know, Jenny and... Ela Dawn having a great women's match. Th this is a feud I want to see over the title. Because eventually, uh, Kaylee Ray is going to drop that title. Piper Niven has had many, many opportunities and has failed every time. 
most recently thanks to Jenny, but you know that's something in there. It's adding to the the really good UK women's division. The main event we saw the finals of the Heritage Cup tournament with a kid going up against Trent Seven, one half of Mustache Mountain. They put on a banger of a match. Like really, really early on, a kid got got the advantage, got an early pinfall. And the rest of the story in the match, you know, for the next five rounds, this is British rounds wrestling, by the way, told the story of the frustration building up with Trent Seven not getting the pin. Until the last 30 seconds of the final round, in round six, Trent Seven gets the pinfall. I think it was either after an Emerald Frozen. There was an Emerald Frozen to the outside. Ouch. That almost resulted in a countout. Uh, seven star lariat burning hammer in that and trent seven gets it and after the six rounds we're tied one one that means sudden death seven star lariat and i'm like okay here we go trent seven's about to win i was rooting for trent through this whole match and i was robbed ah man trent trent uh tries to pick him up for another one eventually locks in like an octopus double underhook armbar breaker move that a Zack Sabre Jr. move right there if I if I say so myself a kid wins the Heritage Cup um you know moment of sportsmanship for Trent Seven after the match I was expecting like the Bad News Brown Bret Hart WrestleMania 4 Battle Royal finish with the smashing trophy nah sportsmanship a kid young bright future kid here in the business Trent Seven's been a veteran in the UK wrestling scene for years Great to see him put A-Kid over, and that was great. That is This Week in the Wrestling. Whew. Next up, finally, my fave five taker matches. I'm a game changer of the week. Stay tuned. Willie T, that one's for you. Hi, and welcome back to the Fretzelmania podcast on Russell Attic Radio. I, of course, am Mr. Fretz, and here to talk about my Fay 5 Undertaker matches. But first, a little word from our sponsor, not really, but our Teespring store and our Patreon page. On our Patreon, you only pay five bucks a month, no tears, no nothing. But you do get exclusive shows, such as the 20 Bell Salute, brought by yours truly, which is my 20-year look back on the pop culture and wrestling. Uh, The next episode will be released this Sunday, the day after you hear this podcast. So you'll hear me talk about movies like Little Nicky and Jim Carrey's Grinch before I start talking Survivor Series 2 thousand you also hear uh you know mance is going to be doing some stuff on there i believe he's covering uh wwecw uh i was thinking about doing that but hey i got a different trick up my sleeve so in the new year maybe i'll pick off something up the network to to cover 
also depends on how much time <laughs> that I can commit to that. Patreons get 15% off of merch. And speaking of merch, this was actually just announced as I was recording this, but for the rest of the year, you have the opportunity to get 15% off of your purchase. This isn't just for Patreons. This is for anybody who wants merch from Russell Attic Radio from the Fretzelmania collection, uh, the KOTR collection, the Delight Show, Kate Murphy, Willie T, King, Ricky, Rose, and the YLP collection. Did I forget anybody this time? <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mance. <laughs> Between now and the end of the year, if you use the code WAR15OVER, you get 15% off of your purchase. I don't know if this coincides with the Patreon one as well, but hey, if you're a Patreon and you use this code, uh, you might even get more off. Don't quote me on that. Uh, if I disappear for a while, that's why. And please, 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 if anyone buys Fretzelmania merch, send me a picture, please. Tag me in it so I, so I can, you know, I can brag. You know, I know a few people. I think, Jermaine, you bought a Fretzelmania mask. So, Jermaine, if you're hearing this, you got to hit me up. Send me, uh, tweet me a picture. I'd love to, to have, uh, you know, to have it. And, yeah, we have face masks and t-shirts and hoodies. Apparently, the hoodies are really, really comfy. You know, the face masks, they do all right, despite the fact that I have to wear glasses and stretches my ear out. The masks do good. You got net gaiters and the masks and the gaiters. A dollar towards every purchase for those goes to uh, feed hungry kids. Um, you know, tapestries and pillows, blankets, I think. All sorts of stuff on our Teespring store. If you just search for Russellotic Radio on Teespring, you'll find it there. I don't know the URL off by heart. It's like Russell-Addict-Radio or, or something like that like that i believe we're getting things like maybe love and war i don't know if that's coming back watch the throne perhaps uh may i suggest the tip of the crown hmm? you're welcome for that by the way guys <laughs> and many other things i think also zach he, he's bringing stuff to the patreon as well his his pay-per-view reviews and now this very special edition of Fretz's Fave 5. My Fave 5 insert topic here. Your new favorite segment on Wrestle Addict Radio. Today's is dedicated to The Undertaker. Where I give you my Fave 5 Undertaker matches. And with 30 years of material to go through, it was really really hard i mean for the first couple years of his career taker i think he was really given a raw deal aside from his feuds with ultimate warrior and hulk hogan they were both good enough but then he had people like john gonzalez and no offense to kamala god rest his soul not that good of a worker late in his career 80s versus andre the giant's a different story then the million dollar corporation and finally there was someone who's going to be actually coming up here who he could be sinking his teeth into and finally have a viable feud with. 
But my Fate 5 Taker matches, first, a couple honorable mentions. Boneyard match from this year's WrestleMania, his send-off match, apparently. That was better than it had any right to be. You know, WrestleMania, we were supposed to have in front of a crowd, but then shit hit the fan, and COVID started, and everywhere shut down. Cinematic matches have become the norm this year. That's what I'll call the new normal, <laughs> is cinematic matches, not everything else that is in the new normal because, you know, it sucks. They managed to put so much character work in this, you know, he comes out seemingly as the American badass because AJ Styles was attacking Mark Calloway and Michelle Calloway, Michelle McCool. Not The Undertaker, so, you know, he even went over it himself in uh, Broken Skull Sessions. He was like, you had to kind of bring out Mark Calloway. He started off as the American Badass. He came out to Metallica, yes! Oh, right, right in my heart. Right into my veins with that one. And then as they go through the rest of the match, you know... You think he's buried, but then you have, you know, the meme where he's standing behind him as the dead man. And then eventually, you know, chokeslams him. Uh, literally sends the Good Brothers packing, because that was the last time we saw the Good Brothers until they went to Impact Wrestling. And, damn it, they beat my boys the North for the tag team titles. I just remembered that. Uh, still going through the trauma over that one. Ah, man. Any honor other honorable mentions, you know, although it wasn't that good of a match, it was more of a moment. Uh, Hulk Hogan at Survivor Series 91, a year after he debuted in the company, he wins the WWE title, and that was huge, although his title reign lasted like literally six days, and then the title was vacated because of the controversial finish at this Tuesday in Texas involving ashes thrown in Taker's face and the schoolboy after that, which gave Hogan his fourth wwe title the inferno match with kane just because of it's the first of its kind it's different and you know you have to adapt and this one this last one is just literally nostalgia for where i was at the time in my life it was the monday night raw the week was it the week after or the night after king of the the night after king of the ring 1999 uh, Steve Austin challenged WWE champion The Undertaker to a match in which Taker won... No, sorry. S Stone Cold won his title back that very night. That day, Monday during the day, I was released from hospital following my spinal fusion surgery. If you've listened to any of my stuff in the past... You know that I had that done. I have steel rods fused to my back. You know the story. Go into the archives if you know you want more. You know, as I've said in previous things, uh, I almost ordered King of the Ring '99 for my hospital bed. I couldn't, but I'm glad I didn't because you know Billy Gunn. But yeah, honorable mentions. That that's where they all end. That literally because I was out of the hospital. Uh, I couldn't really do stairs because you know they just you know, did, redid my back and although my bathroom was upstairs and it was the first place I went when I got home, uh, I couldn't really, you know, maybe even go in my bed because I thought I would roll out and, you know, wreck everything that they did. So I slept on the couch 
and put up the recliners because it was a love seat couch. And I think, yeah, and, and, and you know, because my mom stayed in the hospital with me. She's a nurse. So for the first couple of nights, just stayed on like on our other couch and, and helped me out there. I was watching that from from my from the couch bed. And when Steve Austin won, I just had to quietly like I, I you know, when you like, yeah, when you silently scream, I did that. And I was just like, I was so excited. I was so happy. Uh, I think my dad was still awake. He might have been on the porch uh, having a smoke at that point in time. And then it's just, it, it was, I was so happy because, you know, I was miserable in the hospital. I had a bad, a mostly bad time in there, especially when you mix codeine and morphine. Don't do that, kids. You'll see some wicked colors. I can tell you about the trip I went on after all those painkillers. Anyways, going into number five. Mankind. Now, what Mankind match am I putting in here? It's Killer Ring 98. It's Hell in the Cell. What else could it be? But Mankind was the first really viable opponent for The Undertaker after spending five years dismantling a who's that in professional wrestling. Mankind, the former Cactus Jack in WCW and ECW, of course, Mick Foley, makes his debut as this deranged scarred, mentally and physically disfigured mutilator. You know, they wanted to call him Mankind the Mutilator or Mason the Mutilator. And they just stuck with Mankind. And over the years, like through like 96 through 98, on and off, they would have all these wicked feuds. Mankind was one of the, was one of the first people back then to have a real decisive victory over Taker without shenanigans. I mean, this eventually involved Paul Bearer and the heel turn of Paul Bearer at SummerSlam 96. I almost put in the Boiler Room Brawl. I put I, I could have put that in the honorable mentions, but King of the Ring 98 was a huge moment, not only for Taker, but of course for Mankind, because it took him literally almost dying to catapult him in the stratosphere and for him to gain his fame. I don't want to say this was completely responsible for, for Mankind's fame and his eventual WWE title reign, but in a way, this put him on a map. On the map. At least in my mind, he was already put on the map when he defeated The Undertaker clean. Was it at, at King of the Ring? Uh, I think there was like a Monday Night Raw even. You know, he beat him at, at SummerSlam when the Boiler Room Brawl. He even beat him and buried alive. And then Taker finally got his win back at Survivor Series 96. After that line of wicked matches they had then, the feud was kind of put in the back burner as The Undertaker was focusing on uh, on Kane, who I'm going to be getting into here shortly. And then they finally met again. King of the Ring 98, you know, by God, he's killed him. That's God is my witness. Mankind is broken in half. That whole thing. And, you know, the through the roof part, which wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> this is my number five for that. For that. I mean, it, there wasn't much of a match in there because there were those two moments. You know, they literally started the match right away on top of the cage. Mankind goes flying off the cage twice. And then he comes back like, you've got to be kidding me. He, how is that man walking? Yeah, I thought he was literally dead. I thought he died. 
And he came back and he wrestled 10 more minutes. You know, he got a tooth yanked so bad it went through his nose. I'm glad that when Dr. Drake did that to my to my tooth on Saturday that it didn't come out of my nose. It just came out of my mouth. <laughs> and now there's a nice big hole in there. And he goes in the he gets out the thumbtacks and he keeps going. And Undertaker's doling doling this out. All of this out while he had like I think he had like a broken foot or some something fractured in his leg. Something messed on his leg, and he was wrestling that match. And that just goes to the dedication to the craft and just the workmanship and the guts of The Undertaker. So my number five is Hell in the Cell from King of the Ring 98. My goodness, that was just quite a spectacle. Number four... That's gotta be... That's gotta be Kane! And WrestleMania 14 versus Kane. I mean, what more can I say? Like the story leading up to this was so good, so captivating. Like the Undertaker had this long-lost brother he thought was dead that died in the funeral home fire, along with his parents. And he comes out at Bad Blood '97. We're off to the races. Kane would always attack Taker, set him on fire in the casket. And even then, Taker's like, I will not fight my own flesh and blood. And then finally, after coaxing him into it and almost killing him, he's like, I will walk through hellfire to get to you, Kane. And WrestleMania 14. Spect and, and that spectacular entrance by Taker too, with like the tor with like the the tent of torches going up the ramp. That was good stuff. This is one of my favorite feuds ever. Because he had Paul, Paul Bearer was carrying this whole thing like, Kane's alive, Undertaker! You killed your family! Oh, yes! Willie T, you do a pretty damn good Paul Bearer. It might be better than mine. It's like, Kane's alive! This, this feud was at the peak of my obsession with wrestling in 98, man. And they would feud on and off through the years. They would tag on and off through the years. It was rekindled in, in 2004 with, you know, Paul Bear was in the picture here as well, where Undertaker returned as the dead man after Kane helped Vince McMahon bury the Undertaker. That, that storyline alone was good. And then this is something they just kind of kept over the years. Yeah, we know that Glenn Jacobs and Mark Calloway are not real brothers, but given their size... You'd think they could be somewhat related. And I love that they kind of kept that kayfabe in a bit over the years. Like like how Kurt Angle does his family photos and he always puts uh, Jason Jordan in them. That's clever. That's funny. That's cute. Can't, we, we all know about the Kane deal. So I'm just going to go right ahead to number three. No Way Out 2006. Undertaker versus Kurt Angle. Kurt had just won the WWE title the previous month, I think in like a Battle Royal or a Gauntlet match. Someone had to relinquish it due to injury. I think it was Batista. But Kurt Angle and Taker was just such a clash of styles. And this is the first time I ever saw Taker get a little bit more MMA into his um, 
repertoire, because this is where he would use the Hell's Gate. And Kurt Angle, the best damn technical wrestler in the history of the WWE, and I will stand by that and die on that hill, managed to get one of the greatest technical matches out of... Taker's not known as a technical guy. He works that big man style. But when it comes to the fundamentals, he can nail them. This match was nothing short of amazing. Like that finish where the Hell's Gate gets reversed into like a jackknife pin or, or the other way around. And you'd think whose shoulders are pinned to the mat and take, Taker doesn't win. Whoa. Like, a match you didn't think would work because Survivor Series 2000, 20 Bell Salute, WrestleMania Radio Patreon again. That match was a clash of styles that didn't quite work. Kurt Angle wasn't in his groove, at least te technically, quite yet in 2000, although he was the champion doing damn good. But man, it was still it was still phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Loved it. One of Taker's best ever. It might be his best in-ring match, but when it comes to favorites, I got two more here that they, they kind of run together. Not really run together, but they come around the same year. But number two, Triple H, Hell in a Cell, WrestleMania 28, the end of an era, and the memory remains. Ah, oh, use of Metallica again in my veins. Yeah, I know it's from Reload, but hey, unpopular opinion, I like Load and Reload. I hate St. Anger, and most of what came out after that, except for that uh, song that Taker used at WrestleMania this year, Chef's Kiss. But you had Triple H, you had The Undertaker, end of an era. A year after they had a classic match at WrestleMania 27, you know, Triple H kind of wanted to defend the honor uh, of uh, Shawn Michaels. Uh, you retired uh, my uh, best uh, friend. Uh, you know, hey, Triple H, what's your favorite wrestling promotion? No! <clears throat> I'm sorry for that. That was a terrible joke. But the finish from 27 was so darn good where they had the Hell's Gate. Triple H had, like, the sledgehammer in one hand ready to crack down on Taker, but he ended up tapping out. The next year, you involve Shawn Michaels. You you reunite the band. DX is back together to take down the streak and the dead man in the hell in the cell. And that was the closest I ever saw the streak coming to an end. That's where's you know the part where you do the the super kick and the pedigree one two kick out and Shawn Michaels goes sits in the corner with his with his head in his hands like oh shoot what have I done. What have I done? You've done it now. You've gone and made a big mistake. Yeah, you've gone and pissed off the dead man. Tombstone City. And then that's it. And that spot where all three of them like share the hug at the ramp. These were the years that we're thinking like, this is it for the dead man. This is it. And then it's not it the next year. He was only coming out for WrestleMania around this point in time. Like next, the next year, he would be facing CM Punk, which absolutely belongs on my honorable mentions list, but it just it just didn't crack it. And 
Yeah, when this is the end of an era, it's like the end of the Attitude Era, despite the fact that arguably the Attitude Era ended in 2002 when the WWE got the F out. This was good. This is great stuff. Great stuff. Some of the best work they ever did, but one thing that really irked me about at least the build to 27 is that they kind of vetoed WrestleMania X7, you know, the best WrestleMania, the best wrestling pay-per-view in the history of the world. <laughs> um, their match. But anyways, yeah, I this was damn good. And number one, predictably, The Undertaker versus the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. But what? one do I pick? Do I pick their Bad Blood Hell in the Cell match? Do I pick their casket match from World Rumble 98? WrestleMania 25? Or WrestleMania 26? My favorite match from The Undertaker versus Sean was actually career versus streak WrestleMania 26. The build alone was absolute chef's kiss magnificent. Like, Sean wanted more than anything to beat the streak. Wanting to get Taker's attention so bad that, you know, Taker's is like, hey, I already beat you. It's over. We move. And then it wasn't until, you know, Michaels cost Undertaker the title at Elimination Chamber where it was like, okay, you've done it now. I'll stop using that joke. And we're off to the races. I think this was the mania where they had the duality of Michaels ascending from the heavens all dressed in white and Taker ascending from the depths, you know, in dark. And I think that was the one that might have been 25. I can't remember, but both of those matches were absolutely crazy. And then finally... And a final act of defiance at the end of the match. It's like, you know, Shawn Michaels like slaps The Undertaker. And it's like, ah, Tombstone, you're done. It's over. And now that's how Shawn Michaels' career was written off. At least for a little while. I'm not going to count the, the Saudi shows because uh, screw those. But yeah, the, the story leading up to it. Wanting to get Taker's attention. Wanting to break the streak. Wanting to prove himself, putting everything on the line. That was awesome. So that's my Fae 5 Taker matches. Uh, <laughs> game changer of the week. I had a hard time figuring this out until I was watching uh, recaps from Raw. And here we have Adam Pierce, Four time NWA World Champion Adam Pierce, by the way. Calling Drew McIntyre Drew McInfart. Now... I am a grown-ass man. I am 36 years old. Farts will be funny when I'm 66 years old. That's just the way I am. I'm immature. Deal with it. Drew McInfart, that segment alone, that quote alone, the memes, the, re the replies, man, and Adam Pierce took it like a champ. <laughs> a four-time NWA champ, I remind you again. He was a badass in the ring. He was a very, very good wrestler. I think he had a spell in 
and Ring of Honor as well. So this has been my long-ass edition of the Fretzelmania podcast. I apologize for the link of this show. I'll cut it down next time. But it was Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving. It's The Undertaker Survivor Series. It was a big, big week. And folks, follow us at addict underscore wrestle on Twitter. Join our Patreon. And hey, use that code I told you about to get that 15% off of our merch. Hit me up at Fretzelmania on Twitter and Instagram. And keep listening to all of us. Kings of the Rings podcast. The Delight Show. The Young Lions Perspective. And myself here at Wrestle Attic Radio, the cure for the Common Wrestling Podcast. Love you. Bye.